This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Today, folks, we have an unusual Dreamland, unusual in the sense, not that it's not about the edge, because it is, but it's also basically about something else, which is the quality of life in a community after a tragedy. Now, I don't know if you guys watch the news. I, I certainly do. And you will find, if you look at the news, that one town after another in this country, and in fact in the world, but especially in the central United States, which has a, some very rough weather, is just being beaten up by the climate, by the weather, by tornadoes uh, in the far west, by floods and fires. So what happens afterwards? Well, we're looking at and talking to Bill Kusula. Uh, Bill, you give me your last name, please. Yes, it's Kusulis. Kusulis. Okay, Bill Kusulis. I was going to mispronounce it, um, but I figured, why do that? Why not get just get it from the horse's mouth or the Kusulis's mouth? Um, anyway, this is uh, he's a a. Uh, uh, basically a scientist and who has uh, studies trauma and post-traumatic growth. And the fascinating thing about this particular story, which he calls Bridging the Tragedy, written with his wife, Jackie, who is unfortunately not feeling very well uh, today and can't be with us, subtitled Silver Linings in the Mysterious Ohio River Valley, it's about not just the Mothman and the Silver Bridge tragedy that occurred after at the end at the climax of the Mothman event, but also about what happened afterwards. Was the Mothman evil? Well, Bill, let's go way back to the beginning. What brought you into this? Because you don't seem to me to be, I mean, aside from the fact that you live in a dungeon of some sort, uh, <laughs> uh, you don't seem to me to be the kind of person who's going to be studying something like the Mothman uh, paranormal mystery. Whitley, thank you. Thanks for the introduction, and, and thank you for having me on the show. I, unfortunately, my wife Jackie's not feeling 100%, so she begged off kind of at the last minute. But yeah, I mean, I guess for all intents and purposes, looking at who I am, what we do for a living, my wife and I, and how we got connected with Mothman, I guess I can back that up a little bit and tell you that I've been a fan and interested in the paranormal since I was a little kid. Uh, I grew up, basically, the first book my mom read to me was The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien and got involved with The Lord of the Rings and things of that nature and followed different writers, including yourself. So it's an honor to be on your show. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. But um, to answer the question, Mothman became a passion of mine shortly after I saw the movie featuring Richard Gere. It was released in 2002. I saw it in 2003. By 2006 or seven, I had as much of John Keel's research as I could get my hands around because I found the Mothman story, the phenomenon to be just absolutely riveting. <coughs> Did you know John Keel? Did you ever meet him? 
I have not not met John Keel, but I have kind of met him by proxy by some yeah. from some people who have known him well. And unfortunately, he had passed on before I really got into my own personal research. So yeah, by that, he's a very interesting man. Uh, now, but your research, your personal research, how you so you see the movie. And then, but you take another step because most people, I saw the movie, I did not take that step, but mm -hmm. you did. What what did you do next? So there were a couple of things, Whitley, and I think a couple of reasons for that. At the end of the movie, uh, the, the liner notes basically state that this was based, these events in this movie were based upon the events that took place in Point Pleasant, West Virginia between December, actually November 15th of... 1966 and December 15th of 1967. So for 13 months, the folks witnessed all kinds of paranormal activity, UFOs, lights in the sky, Mothman, of course, but all kinds of interesting things transpired. And then the bridge collapsed. So for me, realizing it was rooted in, in history, being a guy who's a little bit of a history buff, I decided to start really researching it and one of those kind of guys, when I get into something, I go full bore until there's nothing left to find. And around 15, 16, Jackie and I began talking about taking a vacation. And she said, where would you like to go? And by then I was so really ensconced in the Mothman story. I said, let's go to Point Pleasant. So she kind of raised her eyes a little bit and yeah. was thinking about maybe going to Mexico or someplace exotic. And she said, okay. So we did that. What I found, Whitley, was that in making the trip out to Point Pleasant, first, it was it was fascinating to be there in that community. But secondly, the more people who we met in Point Pleasant, the more real the story became, not just of the Mothman, but of the bridge disaster, what happened in the community, how it impacted the people in their lives. And so for the next several years, we went back to Point Pleasant every year and kind of back in 2021, put a research plan together and decided to write a book about it. And it took us a while to land on the research question that we wanted, but ultimately we wanted to know how this tragedy and the paranormal stuff impacted the community of Point Pleasant and the people and how they had grown as a result of it. Now, let's talk about, you know, it's interesting. I, the Mothman is not exclusive to Point Pleasant. It's been seen elsewhere in the world. Uh, I, a lady who wrote us a letter to after I published Communion, in uh, I guess she wrote it in the probably the late '80s. It's in the archive of the Communion letters at Rice University. She saw this on uh, the North York's moors in England. Uh, it it it. She saw the same, it's clearly exactly the same thing. I don't think she knew about the Mothman when she wrote the letter, but she certainly described the same precise thing. So there's something out there. Uh, what, and you, you were initially attracted by this, I, this apparition, basically. And what did you, what have you learned about it? I mean, well, maybe, maybe I better back up for just a second. For the four listeners who do not know this story, uh, uh, and then I'll let you expand on it a little bit. What happened was, over a period of months, this bizarre apparition kept appearing in and around Point Pleasant and West Virginia, and 
very disturbing appearance to people. And then two things happened simultaneously. The Silver Bridge collapsed with the loss of 46 people. Only 44, two of the bodies were never even found. And uh, that's a major bridge collapse to this day in the United States. And the paranormal events ended. So people connect the two. Now, before we just talk about whether or not the outcome of the paranormal events and the bridge collapse was evil or good or to the community, let's go back and talk. And if you could tell us about what it was about the Mothman that attracted you so much that you wanted to actually go there. That's unusual. I suppose it is. For me, it's become a normal way of life, but I guess that I'm a little bit of an outlier in that. I think most people watch movies and they move on with their lives. And, and right. I, I grabbed onto it, took something from it. And I don't know that Whitley, that I was even really conscious of what I took from it at that point in time. Uh, but I think that it happened in 1967. I know that it happened in 1967. I happened in 1967. So I was born the same year the Silver Bridge collapsed, a few months before that happened. So I think in my mind that correlated slightly. But the interest that I took in the whole thing really came not so much from the movie. That was the springboard. That got me going. When I bought John Keel's book, The Mothman Prophecies, and read that for what it is, and the way that I describe the book to people who aren't familiar with it is that it's, I don't think it's a, a wonderfully written book. I don't know that it's really sequential in nature. It really isn't. It's a little haphazard in the way Keel put it together. But the things that he pieced into that book, which I call like a loosely tied compendium, that's the way I describe it. There were so many disparate paranormal things that were happening, not only in Point Pleasant, but also in Long Island, closer to where he was from. John was from New York City. But all these strange things that happened, really the prophecies, I want to say, are the thing that got my attention more so even than the appearances of Mothman itself. I think it was the fact that Keel received information that he tried to disclose to authorities about stuff that he had claimed came to him through otherworldly entities. And he talked about how he had received information that Dr. Martin Luther King was going to be assassinated. And he tried to contact Dr. King's people and nobody would listen to him. The same thing happened with Bobby Kennedy. He received another prophecy that Bobby Kennedy was going to be assassinated. And obviously he wasn't able to stop that either, but he kept getting all this different information. And he, he also received information that something was going to happen in the Ohio River Valley. He couldn't pinpoint what it was. He felt that it was a chemical plant that was going to explode. And that was laid out in the movie where they talked about the fact that Richard Gere thought that right. a chemical plant was going to explode and looked like a lunatic when he described that to the governor of Virginia who was visiting. But Keel never was able to put together that the bridge was going to collapse. Even though other people in the community were receiving different prophetic visions, Mary Heyer, who was the newspaper reporter for the Athens, Ohio Messenger in Point Pleasant, Keel investigated with her. They interviewed people that were seeing ufos that were seeing mothman but basically he never was able to tie those things together mary even had dreams of presence floating on the water which is exactly what happened when the bridge collapsed and the cars yeah were that's it's, that is one of the most awful parts of the story because of course it was time of year for that and uh it's so sad i mean it's incredibly sad uh 
But what's not sad, what's good is that you're all listening, watching Dreamland. And those of you who are my very loved and respected viewers and listeners on the free side, please stop and listen to these commercials. And I will remind everyone, as I always do, that my book, Them, is now available uh, on audio. It is available as a hardcover, a softcover, and a Kindle. So you can go on Amazon and get them and do that. Now, we're talking about another book today, Bridging the Tragedy, uh, with, with Bill and Jackie, his wife, uh, have written it. And uh, it is a really fascinating new vision, really, of the, of the Mothman experience and what happened afterwards. We'll be right back. Them, Mitch Horowitz calls it in the preface, among the most important interpretations of visitor phenomena since Jacques Vallée's passport to Magonia in 1969. Dr. Vallée says in his foreword, the book cites fact after fact to build the case for in-depth realignment of public policy and public need. Diana Walsh Pasulka, author of American Cosmic, says, leads the way and it's best that we listen because the stakes have never been higher. EarthTech International President Hal Putoff says, them is exceedingly valuable. Leslie Kane, author of UFOs, generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record, says, groundbreaking in the truest sense of the word. Bigelow Aerospace VP Colm Kelleher says, searing and masterful. Them, a new vision and a new way of looking at close encounter. You have never read anything like them before. It is the beginning of a new way of looking at our own future. Where are we going? Where have we come from? What secrets have been buried? What secrets have been lost? What is the truth about the close encounter experience? You have never heard any of this before. Them. It's a oh. UFO. Where'd it go? Disappeared. Them. Get it today. Available on Amazon.com. Where is the unknown country? Is it out there? In the stars? Or is it also somewhere else? Is it in us? In you? Unknown country, join us today. Go to unknowncountry.com right now and join us. Join the questions. Join the search. Join the adventure. Unknowncountry.com. There's no place like it in the world.
We're talking to Bill Kosselis. Bill has studied the Mothman uh, experience and the Silver Bridge tragedy in a very different and very new way. And I think you're going to find what we get into absolutely fascinating because this this is a it's a mythology now it's a, it's literally a mythological story but it's also about a community of living people who went through this uh let me ask you this what do people think now of the mothman what do they think of the period of paranormal activity and the whole area i mean i've been to the serpent mound there and boy you want an eerie place that that whole region is strange it's strange bill it's no well, way the, yeah it's really interesting that you mentioned the serpent mound because i was talking about the 2016 trip that jackie and i took with which really kicked off our relationships with people in point pleasant when I had kind of laid out to her that I wanted to go to Point Pleasant, she said, okay, but you got to take me to the Serpent Mound first. So we live in the Chicagoland area. I, I like to tell people we're really more in the cornfields than we are in the sky, skyscraper area. We're, we're in suburban, far west suburban Chicago. It takes quite a while to drive all the way down to where the Serpent Mound is. But we did go there, and I, I agree. There's some strange energy there. It's a very interesting place, very neat. But I was so, in my mind, focused on getting to Point Pleasant that I couldn't wait to get out of there. <laughs> I just needed to get to Point Pleasant. What I found in 2016 when we arrived at Point Pleasant, the very first person we met was a lady by the name of Carolyn Harris. And Carolyn Harris ran a cafe, a restaurant, basically right across from where the Mothman Museum is currently and her cafe restaurant was called the Harris's Steakhouse, a.k.a. the Mothman Diner. We had arrived in Point Pleasant a little after 5 o'clock. We didn't know what to do, obviously didn't know anybody in town. And Point Pleasant is little, so at least in 16, everything was shut down except this little restaurant. And Jackie, who's a pretty, pretty intuitive person, said there's a little lady in there, and I think she wants us to come visit with her. And I thought, well, I, that's nice, but what else is there to do in town? And she said, no, no you need to come with me she wants to talk to us i said okay so we went and we talked to her turns out carolyn was the co-founder of the mothman festival which now has been going on for decades and she sadly had lost her son in the bridge collapse in 1967 when the bridge went down carolyn's first husband and her son were killed in the bridge disaster and that immediately kind of reframed our entire conversation with Carolyn because we knew this was a, a very devastating thing that had happened in her. Thankfully, I can't personally relate, but I certainly could empathize with her. But we went back to her restaurant every day that we were in town because we just fell in love with this lady. And what we found was, yes, she absolutely was a wonderful, hospitable person. But as we continued to go back to Point Pleasant in subsequent years, we found that the whole area is like that we very seldom meet a person that doesn't make us like feel that we're part of the community and that it's the most important part of their day to have a conversation with us. And I mean, we're just regular people, you know, we just show up, but that's the way they treat people. So the more we got to know them and ask questions about Mothman, Carolyn said she never saw Mothman, but, but she did see the men in black. She talked about them. She talked about different types of men in black. Tell us a little bit about what she said. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Well, what she said 
was basically that there were men in black and she had a very thick southern accent like a lot of folks from west virginia do and she said we just thought they were government men government gis fbi whatever with the traditional fedoras and you know the dark sunglasses smoking cigarettes on the corner never really talking to people but just kind of standing around looking but then she said there were the other kind and when she mentioned the other kind she inferred that they didn't look like they were from around here they didn't look like they were maybe american and she hinted a little bit that maybe they weren't entirely human so it was an interesting interesting conversation yeah yeah and that has been a a, a feature of the whole story that stays fuzzy for some reason in other words if you've read if you've watched the movie and you've read the books you still can't get a complete handle on that particular aspect of it. I, who saw them? What did they do? They didn't seem, they seemed to, it almost, I, I was thinking the other day about it when I was reading through your book and thinking to myself, uh, what if this is something to do with some kind of time travel or something? I just, it was just so mysterious, the whole thing. But then the mystery, ends when the bridge collapses so what's the connection did you ever get any sense of that bill it's really interesting isn't it we we developed our study which became the book around two different research questions and the first research question was you know what are the dimensions of post-traumatic growth for individuals who survived the silver bridge collapse didn't mean they had to be on the bridge, but mean it mean that they were affected by the bridge collapse, whether a, a neighbor or a family member or just the community sense in general, what was it like for them to go through that experience? The second research question was around what was it like to basically go through the paranormal phenomena that took place for the 13 months prior to that? So right. as we asked the people these questions, most of the responses that we got back with the exception of two people who we interviewed, were focused primarily on the bridge disaster and how that impacted them. And then they talked about what the community was like and how exciting it was when this was going on with Mothman. People talked about getting into their cars with their families, driving around, going to the TNT area, which is where Mothman was first sighted, to see if they could see him again. Denny Bellamy, who's been on dozens and dozens of documentaries, right. he's He's kind of famous for this, Whitley, but he even told us, like he has a lot of other folks that have interviewed him. So the first question we had was, if we see Mothman, can we shoot it? And if there are two, can we shoot two? So he was looking at it as being a corporeal being. I would say that in the research that I've been able to be a part of, some that I've conducted and some that I've picked up from others like Keel and different researchers, you mentioned time travel. I've I've heard Keel's terminology being possibly a transmogrification of energy, basically meaning that if you switch like a radio dial, an AM, FM dial, if you hit the signal where the radio is, where that where station is, you're going to get a broadcast. And maybe this being can come through and manifest somehow, either physically or energetically or spiritually. And those are some of the things that we've encountered from some of the people we've talked to as well. So they're having, basically, the community is kind of weirded out, but also basically having fun with this before the ridge cat catastrophe the ladies who we interviewed and i'm thinking specifically susan sayer and linda lane both told us how exciting it was Char charlene westwood did too 
how exciting it was to go out looking for this thing. There was so much energy around it. Wow. I mean, there's something really special happening in our little town. I mean, are you kidding? But then there were people who were absolutely terrified by the fact, too, their parents wouldn't let them go out at night. So it was kind of a mixed bag. And yet, you know, it's unusual in a way that it was a mixed bag at all, because for every every description of the creature is that it's a pretty scary thing. And yet there were uh, there were people who looked at looked at it very positively. They they saw it as an adventure. Others yes. saw it as as a menace. And what was the is there a difference between the two types of person that you were since this is your field? Were you, were you could you say that certain people have a certain mindset that's more adventurous? That frankly your own, because you're I mean you. You go and you do this adventure. Your wife goes along with you, but basically until she got into it, I don't think she really wanted very much to be there. She could have probably enjoyed a vacation to Mexico a little more. And I agree with you until the first time we went because her connection to Carolyn and to Jeff Wamsley, who runs the Mothman Museum, was every bit as strong as mine, if not more so. So the more that, the more that we got kind of embedded in the community from our first trip, the more we wanted to go back. So we were really, really enamored with the legend and with the people. But I think to answer your question, some of the folks had that sense of wonder. I mean, we're going back into time now, 50, almost 56 years since the bridge collapsed. So the people who we interviewed, the youngest person we interviewed was Jeff Wamsley. He's 60 now. The oldest person was Jimmy Wedge, who is 80 now. So I think the older people had a different perspective than the younger kids did. And maybe the younger people heard from their families what they were to really believe this thing really was and whether it should be feared or whether it should be exciting. Teenagers are always interested in unknown stuff. Uh, teenagers like to get out and go after the crazy stuff. And interestingly enough, Roger and Linda Scarberry and Steve and Mary Millette were teenagers when they encountered the Mothman the first time. <clears throat> yeah, I was a... I was, I guess, just past my 20th birthday in uh, 1967 when the bridge collapse occurred. I never heard of the Mothman when I was that age, but I was living in Texas, going to University of Texas. And that was all over the television, boy, and it was scary. It was really frightening. I was glad and I lived in a state that had only artificial lakes. There wasn't a single lake in the state of Texas uh, when it was when it was settled by the uh, Austin colonists and the others and the and the Hispanics before that, <clears throat> and so we didn't have to worry about any bridge collapses. Uh, it was terrifying, the whole idea of it, and yet, what came out of it is very different from what you would expect. And <clears throat> free side listeners, we're going to find out more about that in just a moment. Unknowncountry.com. It's huge. It's much more than just a Whitley Strieber book site. It contains thousands of hours of interviews, meditations, podcasts of all kinds. My original hypnosis tapes are there. You can actually hear the moment 
that I discovered that I at least was not alone in this universe in the office of Dr. Donald Klein so many years ago, Whitley Strieber audiobooks, Communion, Transformation, The Secret School, Breakthrough, Majestic, and so much more powerful meditations, but more even than all that, it is a community of people who are either looking to gain contact or actually in contact now. There is no community like it in the world. It is absolutely unique. Contact really is happening here. That's what these shows are all about. That's what my life and this website are about. It's real, and it can be of enormous benefit to us individually and to mankind as long as we take our part and do it our way. This is what being a member of Unknown Country is about. So go to unknowncountry.com and subscribe today. Join us and join, very frankly, the future. Them, Mitch Horowitz calls it in the preface, among the most important interpretations of visitor phenomena since Jacques Vallée's passport to Magonia in 1969. Dr. Vallée says in his foreword, the book cites fact after fact to build the case for in-depth realignment of public policy and public need. Diana Walsh Pasulka, author of American Cosmic says, leads the way and it's best that we listen because the stakes have never been higher. Earth Tech International President Hal Putoff says, them is exceedingly valuable. Leslie Kane, author of UFOs, generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record, says, groundbreaking in the truest sense of the word. Bigelow Aerospace VP Colm Kelleher says, searing and masterful. Them, a new vision and a new way of looking at close encounter. You have never read anything like them before. It is the beginning of a new way of looking at our own future. Where are we going? Where have we come from? What secrets have been buried? What secrets have been lost? What is the truth? about the close encounter experience. You have never heard any of this before. Them. It's a, oh. Go like this. It's a UFO. Where'd it go? Disappeared. Them. Get it today. Available on Amazon.com. We're talking to Bill Kosselis about his book and his wife's book, Jackie's Kosselis's book, 
Bridging the Tragedy, Silver Linings in the Mysterious Ohio River Valley, a place of powerful paranormal energy. Energy that was certainly there long before uh, uh, settlers from Europe arrived because the serpent mound is there and the serpent symbolism goes way, way back in human history. In fact, the first religious artifact we have in the world of a religious, of a temple of any kind is in Botswana. And you know what it is, folks? It's a serpent. It's a, there's a rock face that has happened to have something on it that looked like a serpent, shaped like a serpent. It's carved out so that it looks more like a serpent with a head and eyes and scales. And there's a secret little tunnel behind it and a hole where you can whisper into the cave where the serpent is. And if you light candles in the cave or little torches, the, the, the uh, serpent's scales glitter and you can whisper. And this is 70,000 years old. All that time ago, we found something very sacred and very powerful about the serpent. And now the serpent mound is there. I'm talking not just about serpents, but about an energy. And an energy that then manifests itself in this incredibly weird way with the Mothman, the men in black, the semi-human ones, all of this happens. And it's like a buildup of energy to bang, the bridge collapses. So wouldn't you think this community would be shattered, Bill? That's... One would think so. One would absolutely think so. But yeah. again, going back to our very first visit in 2016, there is a different vibe today in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, than I think there was when the Mothman was there. Obviously, I wasn't there because I was four months old when the bridge collapsed. But the very first thing that I thought, here's this legend that is steeped in mystery that I've been studying for 15 years by the point that we arrived there the first time. And the sense that I got from the community was very peaceful, positive energy, good people, hospitality. Yes, mystery is there. Absolutely. Is it spooky, especially back in the TNT area? No question about it. But the overall vibe that there and if I could use the word, the spiritual vibe is very, very positive. And it it pulls us back and pulls us back. We love to tell people that it was the legend of Mothman that brought us to town, but it's the people of Point Pleasant who bring us back. And that's true. Every time we go back to Point Pleasant, we have legitimately new, we make new friends, not just acquaintances, but people we keep up with. So I, we just absolutely love being there. But yes, to answer your question, I mean, we're looking at basically the site of what has been called by some, right where Point Pleasant is, the first instance or the first battle of the Revolutionary War. We have all kinds of skirmishes that have taken place between settlers and between natives. Thousands upon thousands of people were killed. Back where the TNT area is, I want to say there are three large communal graves unmarked for natives who had lost their lives in some of these skirmishes. So a lot of death, a lot of violent death has taken place there. 
the two rivers come together where the bridge is now, the Silver Bridge, the Silver Memorial Bridge, which is presently about a mile or two down the road from where the Silver Bridge was. The intersections of the Ohio and the Kanawha Rivers come together there. So there's that energy as well, too. So we've got burial mounds that go up and down the rivers. We've got all kinds of artifacts. It's just a fascinating, fascinating area. Yeah, it is a fascinating area. And also, another thing, interesting thing about the people there, they declined to join the Confederacy during the Civil War. And that's why we have West Virginia today, because they left Virginia. It was Virginia. It was all part of Virginia, but they left uh, rather than join the Civil War on the Confederate side. So they have that legacy among themselves as well. Now, right now, I counted this morning, as best I can tell, there are 40 communities in the United States that have been damaged or destroyed within the past three months by the weather, by tornadoes. And about 50 people have been killed. Now, when this tragedy struck this community, no one related it, I wouldn't think, to the Mothman. They didn't see a connection. But they did see a terrible personal tragedy because it was a small community. What would have had a population of about 650 then, right? A, a little bigger than that, but still a small community, yes. Yeah, a small, but such a small community that it's unlikely that anyone in the community was unaffected by that. And certainly, even if they themselves didn't have anyone die, in their immediate circle, they knew people who did. So it was a trauma that spread over the whole community. What was described, Whitley, to us was that if you didn't know somebody who died in the Silver Bridge disaster, you knew somebody who knew somebody who died in the Silver Bridge disaster because it is that tight-knit of a community. Even today, I mean, it still resounds 55, 56 years later. It's, uh, it's an instance that's held in reverence. They have uh, a ceremony every December 15th to commemorate the people who lost their lives. It's a very solemn type of thing, uh, but it's held in very, very high regard you know, within the community. And one of the things that was told to us by Jeff Wamsley of the Mothman Museum was whenever visitors come to town, they ask about the Silver Bridge disaster, but it's always done with respect. It's never done in any way that does anything but honor those people who lost their lives. Yeah. Now, you would think, tell us a little bit about what you do, you're, you're, because you're a PhD psychologist, as I believe. Yes. Yeah. Can you tell us what precisely what you do? And, and this is going to relate in a funny way, I think, to something you're maybe not consciously aware of. What attracted you to this community in the first place? So tell us what your your discipline is. Yes, absolutely. So my focus uh, in research is around the concept of post-traumatic growth. It's the good that we get as a result of going through the bad things that we really could be sunk by emotionally, personally. I mean, that could really modify our lives toward the negative for the rest of our lives. And I was first exposed to the concept when I was in graduate school and put a dissertation together in and around that concept. And as I continued to pursue that academic pursuit 
as well as learn more about Mothman and then traveled to Point Pleasant, it became natural that the two the two passions would dovetail somehow. I wasn't exactly sure until the last minute before we started the study how I wanted to go with it. But with the help of my wife, we came up with the idea of why not study post-traumatic growth and paranormal experiences? That was her idea. And as we, we re refined that down to my true passion, which was about Mothman and Point Pleasant, that's how we got to where we got to. So to answer your question, what is it that I do? What is it that we did? That is that we basically went out and we found people that we knew would be interested and had experience with the bridge disaster. We started out with Jeff Wamsley and a gentleman by the name of Steve Ward, who is also a researcher who works for Jeff and has been a John Keel guy for 50 plus years. And then a, a researcher by the name of Andy Colvin, who has really worked to repopularize much of John Keel's lost work that was done in Fate magazine and different magazines that were written, frankly, before I was even born and shortly thereafter. We, we hit the three of those guys up, asked them if they knew who might be interested in the study. They pointed us in the direction of a couple folks. There's a guy by the name of Mark Griffith, who we met with Carolyn Harris, uh, the very first person who we met when we went to Point Pleasant. And we asked Mark to be, he was the first guy we asked to be in the book. He's become a friend. So he is the first interviewee. And then after that, the guys that we asked for help, two of the three of them volunteered for the study. At that point, we put an, an we put a an interview, an, I'm sorry, we put an advertisement in the Point Pleasant and Ohio River Valley area newspapers with the help of the editor that we were looking for more volunteers. So then we had three individuals come to us and called us. One gentleman called me by the name of Jimmy Wedge. I had no idea who Jimmy Wedge was. I took his call and he's and another, another Southern gentleman, thick accent, said, you know, I'd, I'd like to be in your study. I lost both my mom and dad in the bridge disaster. And I was immediately kind of not taken aback. That's not the right phrase for it, but it put me in a position of the utmost respect because here's an individual who lost both his mom and dad in the bridge disaster. I have no idea who this guy is, but he wanted to be in our study. So we teed him up for an interview also. Turns out Jimmy Wedge ended up being one of the centerpieces of our entire study. He was 25 years old when the bridge disaster occurred, lost both mom and dad the night that he was debuting as the Point Pleasant basketball varsity coach, the head coach. Knew the bridge went down. Mom wasn't in the stands. Still played the game. Didn't know dad had come back from Kansas City to surprise him on his coaching debut. And so we, 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 we found all this out during the interview with him. But what we thought was going to be a very somber interview, he was one of the funniest guys we talked to. He had such a wonderful sense of humor. He's a very accomplished businessman and very accomplished politician. He's held numerous uh, high-level positions in different organizations. Just, just a really fun, fun guy. So uh, we interviewed all these different folks. 11 of them came forward. And from that point forward, that's where the analysis began. And I just realized I've been talking for a few minutes, so maybe I should stop and let you ask another question. <laughs> Would you run out of steam? No, not, not out of steam. I'm just not, I'm not, not at all. Not at all. No, because, well, <laughs> you, you know, you 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 bring up so much. And what's interesting here is this: many people think of this as a track is a an evil paranormal intrusion that led to a spectacular tragedy. I think John Keel regarded it more as if 
it was some kind of a warning from another level of reality that that for whatever reason couldn't communicate with us very well what do you think it was and was it it doesn't sound like the the end result was tragic at all but is there a connection between the two were you able to get any sense of that a, a, a connection between the mothman paranormal material activity and the bridge collapse it's almost like the bridge collapse kind of dispelled something and it did seem like things just came to an abrupt halt and yeah. that was one of the one of the parts of our line of questioning with the 11 people we talked to about when it ended and i think jeff wamsley summed it up the best when he said what happened was that when the bridge disaster happened the paranormal stuff didn't entirely go away it quieted down there wasn't nearly the intensity of it but that was happening really over the course of the last several months before the bridge happened anyway most of the intense paranormal activity was earlier during that 13 month period of time what jeff shared with us was that now we've got something that we know is real this is tan tangible this is palpable 46 people lost their lives all those families were impacted horribly the community was suffering that's where the focus went so i think they focused upon the reality of what happened in the bridge disaster more so than what was happening that they really couldn't put their their arms around and really define or, or quantify so to speak so i don't think that it ended entirely you know as we talked about a few minutes ago there have been sightings all over the world and in different times but that microcosm those 13 months that took place then that was the strongest intensity of mothman sightings really anywhere for any protected protracted period of time absolutely absolutely and it's a it's a it's a form that is is often associated with tragedies and disasters and uh, almost as if there's some part of us that is you know there's something predictive about it and it's, it's odd in that sense but <laughs> tell us about how the study what what were you looking for in the study that you did afterwards with these people we really wanted to find the good we really wanted to look for the good and that's not to minimize the bad because obviously there was bad and I, going back into the conversation a few minutes back we talked about the mothman we've got this apparition with these red eyes and it's not it's not putting smiles on people's faces even the people who are excited they're nervous or they're terrified i mean this is not something that you want to run into if we go back into old testament literature when they talk about angels they're not usually fun to encounter they're a little spooky they're a little scary some of them look like humans some of them really don't so my thought all along has been that this is some type of a like i to use heel's phrase a transmogrification of energy something that's appearing to us that maybe can't communicate directly with us but can somehow and can mm -hmm. get messages across i really like the concept of it being a harbinger basically something that's showing up to tell you something's not quite right and you need to pay attention but i can't give you a whole lot more details than that that's that's the gist that i've gotten from the whole mothman phenomenon how did the, the town recovered it's now a thriving community actually the mothman has become 
the best thing that ever happened to Point Pleasant. They call it the the Roswell of the East now. They really yeah. do. It is a mecca for paranormal enthusiasts. It really, really is. And and I want to say that the movie was the springboard for that, just like it was the springboard for me and for Jackie to want to get involved with learning more about it. But what followed up after that was Carolyn and Jeff and deciding to do a festival. And when they started that festival, at first it was super small. It was basically Jeff with a card table selling some books that he wrote and Carolyn selling hamburgers that she made. And people would show up and they'd talk about their experiences. Over time, it grew and it grew and it grew. Even in 2016, um, the attraction of Point Pleasant wasn't as big as it is now. And I, I got to say, the pandemic, I think, had a little something to do with that. They were drawing 10 to 15,000 people right before the pandemic, which is really a lot of people for a small community of you know 6,000 people in Point Pleasant in that entire area. Gallup Police, Ohio, across the river is a little bigger, but still it's a small, concentrated area where you have a ton of people showing up. But then they didn't have the festival for a couple of years because of the pandemic. And we actually showed up in 2021 for because we had a hotel room there. We went to the festival, and there were there was a collection of people there. There were Jackie seems to think there were maybe a thousand people that showed up in town during that part of the pandemic. We were two of them, and we met a lot of interesting people, but we were able to be presenters at the 2022 festival. So it's the first real festival we went to. And Whitley, they had 30,000 people at that festival. And a big chunk of them were there on Mothman Saturday. It was unbelievable at our booth and the booths of the other folks who were around us. There was just a train of people that kept coming by and coming by and coming by. And I love what they do with the festival. There is never any trouble. There is never any outbreak of violence. It's a family-friendly type thing. They keep it super positive, and it's just a wonderful experience. Yeah, I'm very worried about the whole community, all of the festivals in the in the more paranormal and UFO-related ones, because I, I fear there could be an outbreak of violence at such a festival, because not everybody who goes to those festivals should go anywhere. They should Some of them should not be around. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, one's fingers are crossed about that. Now, what is the trajectory that you found of, well, you know, we, we've come to the end of the, actually the free side of the show. So I'm going to say goodbye to my free listeners. And uh, I want to recommend Bridging the Tragedy. Bill and Jackie Kosselis's book, Silver Linings in the Mystery of the Ohio River Valley, because it will be, um, it will get you, give you insight into what happens when trauma occurs. And also there's a eerie, it, there's a lot of kind of unspoken insight in here, in my opinion, uh, to, it, to the relationship between the paranormal in the human spirit and the human soul, it comes out in this in subtle ways. So it's a very unusual and interesting journey. I recommend it highly, Bridging the Tragedy. Thank you, Free Dreamlanders, so much for being with us on Dreamland. Subscribers will keep right on keeping on. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. 
Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host, and I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.